came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One great show for you today. Again, we have Governor David Patterson, Congressman Peter King, uh, Bert Flickinger on our prices coming down in the food industry. Senator Alphonse D'Amato, Arthur Piccolo, he is mad as heck at the Thanksgiving Day Parade. They won't put the bull in there from Wall Street. Let's start off with Mike Stoller talking about the real estate industry. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning I have one of New York City's leading investment sales brokers, advisors, Shimon Shikori, who is the president and CEO of Ariel Property Advisors. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having us uh, today, having me today, and uh, thanks for uh, introducing us so nicely about investment sales. We also do capital markets, mortgages, and advisory, like you said, so thank you for that. So let's talk about investment sales first in the market, because you recently issued something from your firm with regard to the volume being down. So let's talk about this year's volume. Sure. The volume of transactions in general was expected to uh, be lower this year. We've seen, you know, a big uptick in interest rates and that what led us to uh, to see a big drop in uh, volume of transactions, specifically for the multi-family asset class in the first quarter. Uh, so we reached about $1.2 billion. The second quarter was surprising. The second quarter was great, about $3.9 billion. But there was a story there and the story was uh, the affordable housing story, where we had uh, Nuveen buying about a billion dollars of uh, multifamily, affordable multifamily from Omni. And our company uh, p- represented uh, another big transaction, a $150 million transaction of the Sea Park portfolio that was uh, uh, sold to Treadway for $150 million in uh, Coney Island and a few other uh, larger affordable housing transactions. The third quarter, We've seen only $1.5 billion or almost $1.6 billion, more than the first but less than the second. And again, the story is mostly the, affordab- the strength of the affordable housing in the second quarter in terms of transaction volume, if that makes sense. And what do you see forecast for the, uh, the, final, the fourth quarter of the year? It's, it's hard to tell, although from what we have in contract, what we've closed already, and what we know our competition has in contract and probably will close, I think it's going to be uh, – Higher than the third quarter, uh, not as high as the th- uh, higher than the second than the third quarter, not as high as the second quarter. So probably around two billion, maybe two billion plus. I do want to say something about multifamily because it's 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 not just one asset class; it's three. It's free market, rent stabilized, and affordable housing. And the free market world is doing exceptionally well. Uh, the rent stabilized is suffering, and so and and f- affordable housing doing exceptionally well. And I think we should. Pay attention to that because it's suffering in terms of rent stabilized is suffering in terms of uh, volume transactions, but also in terms of values. That's what people are buying. So very interesting phenomena in New York City when it comes to capital. There's capital for pretty much everything, including prop product type that has been going through 
uh, legislation like rent stabilized and through a lot of interest rate um, challenges. What about the financing for these projects that you just discussed? So it's a lot harder to finance today. Clearly, the uh, signature uh, bank debacle is is something that affects financing throughout, and and balance sheet lenders are uh, basically lending less. Uh, though agency lenders are lending uh, more in general, that's why affordable is doing so well. And what took over in many cases are private lenders. So, for example. Uh, on Columbus Avenue, you had Avenue and Slate buying a property that was financed by um, by Apollo, and that's a private lender in that case. That's something we haven't seen as much before. You've seen uh, a building uh, trade. Any idea what type of rate they were paying? I don't know the rate. My assumption, it would be a higher rate than, and, and possibly a floating rate, but also a higher rate than uh, your balance sheet lender rate, probably 50 to 75, not 100 basis points higher. So that's a great question. And and we've spoken to several uh, prominent players in the market recently that told us they have the uh, the goal of putting together platforms, uh, private debt platforms, specifically for multifamily, that will be probably 50 to 100 basis points higher than prevailing uh, balance sheet rates just to accommodate this market. And that's going to happen probably in 2024. So yeah. the the financing market super interesting today and definitely in transition. Now, what's happening with the developmental sites? Because certain builders are going into the ground even without tax abandonment. Yeah, so so land is interesting. Land has dropped in volume of transactions in general. Values have dropped as well. The land that makes sense or the land that is trading, the opportunity in land is in prime locations. So we've seen several of those going through we we actually marketing a building or a land a building that could be a development site up on the upper east side tremendous demand from mostly uh, condo developers if you have land that has already the entitled 421a that's doing uh, well that's mostly in the gowanus and mostly because of the executive order that the governor gave we just sold a, a 30 million dollar deal there with an entitlement uh, for 421a uh, Sean Kelly did that and um and the last thing is is if you had rezoned opportunities, rezoned locations like in Queens, that's where we've seen more land transactions. But overall, we need more housing in the city and we need more incentives to build rental housing in the city, affordable or not. And, and that's where the state comes in and should provide those in the form of a tax abatement. Um, it's gone for a long time now and it's hurting our inventory. We, we only have 11,000 units in the pipeline for 2023, maybe even less. We need about 50,000 units a year in order to catch up with demand. Otherwise, again, the the prices of rents are going to keep increasing. So I'd like to thank you for being here, providing us with lots of information, and look forward to seeing you again on the Stoller Report. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. With us today is Governor David Patterson, and uh, we, we were together on Friday at the Police Athletic League lunch where, where uh, uh, Mayor Eric Adams spoke, and everybody was silent in the room. We had 300 people in the room, silent, waiting to hear what are these budget cuts going to mean. And Governor Patterson, uh, everybody in that room is concerned. Uh, there's more crime than ever before in the city. Uh, and uh, there's crime even in our neighborhoods where you live in the Upper East Side. I live in the Upper East Side. Uh, they smashed up the, uh, the CVS store on 84th Street the other day. Um, 
what can we do to keep our city safe? Because we don't want any more people to move out. Well, the mayor's in a very difficult position. He's in a position very similar to the one that I was in after the fiscal crisis of 2008. So what he did was he warned us all in September. He didn't come up with this at the PAL luncheon Friday or in the press conference on Thursday. And he said that there would be wide sweeping cuts because we've had to put so much money into working on trying to find places to house the migrants around the city. And there have been 145,000 migrants that have come into this city basically since uh, the second quarter of the year. And so his budget is going to inevitably be 5% cuts at least for every agency in the city. No agency was spared from this. Now, the 19 members of what's called the Progressive Caucus, which are the very concerned members of the Democratic Party, all of them who did not have to run for election this year, in other words, they uh, were, uh, their, their terms are, are, were uh, not, not up, they have vowed to fight this, and they call these cuts unnecessary, dangerous, and destructive. And maybe in some respects they're on the right track, but here's the issue. If you want to spare the cuts to particular agencies, it's just like your family budget. If you don't want to spend money on a particular, uh, if, if you want to reduce the amount of money you're spending in a particular area, you're going to have to take the money from a different pot. And that's the classic problem that legislators have always had when it comes to budget negotiation, whether it's the city council, the state, or even the House of Representatives and the Senate of the United States. And so what's going to happen, basically, is the only way that Adams can affect these cuts is to go to some of the major agencies. And the Department of Education is going to be cut by $500 million. That's going to pretty much wipe out uh, the uh, pre-K programs. And it's also going to wipe out the summer rising program, which finds recreational activities for young people during the summer where they otherwise would have been in school. And that uh, is really going to be a challenge for private organizations like the PAL that you chair, John, to try to fill in the gap when the city pulls the money out of there. It's a very dangerous situation, and it is, uh, but it is serious. And uh, some people are kind of implying that the reason is that the mayor hired Uh, for profit organizations to help try to place the migrants. He did. And uh, it does cost a lot of money, but that money pales in comparison to the amount of money that's being cut in this particular budget. It's a tough thing to do. You have to stand there and look the public in the eye and tell them we'll get through this, but the road ahead is going to be pretty uh, bumpy, and that's where we stand. Governor, I mean, if you or me uh, were mayor, the first thing I would say, all the people not, not showing up for work Monday through Friday, why are we paying them? Well, that would be one way that you could cut the budget by uh, 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 guaranteeing mandatory attendance. And when people don't show up, they, they would lose their jobs because we are, you know, a year and a half at least ahead of the away from the pandemic now. People should be able to come to work. But yeah, I mean, that's crap. And in Washington, Governor, I understand 80 percent of the federal offices are empty. That's another problem. I I know somebody who works for one of the agencies in Washington. As far as I'm concerned, this person lives in New York right now and only goes down there for meetings that 
That can't happen, particularly here in New York, with this kind of a crisis befalling us. And for those who, uh, you know, regret what is happening and say that they want to fight it, I invite them to go ahead and fight it. But they've got to fill in the money that would be lost. And you can't just always tax the rich. And the mayor did say that he wasn't going to tax anybody. Well, I'm just concerned that more people will leave New York if they cut. The the rumor was they're going to cut 5,000 police officers. Either cut 5,000 police officers or not hire to make up for the ones that left already. Well, this is really very sad. They're not going to cut or, or in any way defund the police, but they're going to have a moratorium on hiring, which inevitably is going to mean that there aren't enough police officers to sustain the need for, for their presence. It's another area where the mayor begrudgingly gave in. Believe me, John, Mayor uh, Adams did not want to cut the police department at all. He was forced into it because he's going to have to negotiate with these city council members who are very much against seeing the uh, police, um, you, you know, a- appear to be getting preferential treatment against the other agencies. So that's why he didn't do it. But now when it comes time to actually negotiate, he is going to have to uh, make everyone aware that everyone's going to lose something in this budget negotiation. This is where we are. That's where we were in 2008. At the time, you wouldn't believe the things they said about me. Uh, Now I go to these lunches and they ask me, when am I coming back? But the reason is because... I think in in the midst of crisis, people are very concerned and they're very irreverent about their leadership. But when they actually end, they remember who stood up and who didn't. Governor, the other additional thing, I think the budget last year, if I remember correctly, uh, was like $98 billion, And this year it's like $110 billion. Can't they just go back to last year's budget? Well, they probably can't because they, they don't have the resources to, to sustain it, and that's why they've had to drive it up. But it's, it's a real problem when you come to trying to negotiate with the city council members. And, the, you know, the city council members are human beings, and they see uh, people from their districts losing services that they used to have. Uh, what are they going to do about all the children that are uh, not going to have some of the help from the uh, Rising Summer program that I talked about before? And um, and it's laudable that they have that sensitivity, but they did run for office. They do serve in government and they have a mandate to keep the budget balanced, lest the city fall into default. And that's the last thing we'd ever want to have happen. Understood. Uh, We've got 30 seconds left. Anything else you want to say? Well, I just commend the mayor for coming to the PAL luncheon, for getting right in front of the cameras, uh, sustaining what he had said he would have to do in September. As they say, it's lonely at the top. He may be feeling a little lonely now, but years from now, I think people will say that he did the right thing. Understood. Governor David Patterson, thank you for your input. Thank you for your wisdom. And we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, John. This is the Catch Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us today is Congressman Peter King, and he um, has some sleepless nights about what what things are going on in our city, our state, our country, and in Washington. 
Uh, Congressman King, uh, tell us how you, uh, I mean, I, I know you, you've been very upset lately about things that are going on. Tell us about it. Yeah, John, first of all, I, I try to be optimistic, and we're you know, heading into uh, Thanksgiving week, and I you know, want to wish everybody uh, an early happy Thanksgiving, but wow, it's hard to be happy these days. First of all, one positive note is that the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, did get through a legislation to keep the government open for at least a few months. So that'll be out of the way during the holidays. Maybe Congress can calm down a bit and get you know, real legislation through and, as you say, do common sense things. But other than that, you know, when you see these demonstrations around the country and, you know, the other night when the Hamas uh, demonstrators basically attacked the Democratic National Committee, you had people locked inside, fearing for their lives. One Democratic member of Congress said he felt more nervous, more concerned on that night than he did on January 6th. So this is insane. And then we know, and John, I used to, when I was chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, and after that, when I was still on the committee, I kept a big map in my office of all of the potential terror targets in New York City. And that was then. And even up until a few months ago, I was very concerned about that. Now, since then, we've had these thousands and thousands of uh, migrants coming to the city. They're not being vetted. We know some are coming from the Middle East. Some are coming from China. And all you need is one or two of them to be ISIS operatives. And now we see all these demonstrations for Hamas, which shows the extent of support for these radical Middle Eastern policies, really anti-American, anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, carrying out violence in the streets of New York. And they're here. And then we hear, on top of all that, at a time when crime is up anyway, the terror threat is getting worse every day, that the mayor's budget is going to end up cutting over the next few years, five, almost 5,000 police officers from the NYPD when we probably need 5,000 new ones. I mean, I, I can't tell you how concerned I used to be with the whole counterterrorism situation in New York. And that really remains, John. The fact that we had the FBI and the police and all of the law enforcement agencies working together around the clock, that's the only reason we didn't have more attacks in recent years. Now, you add to that these thousands and thousands of migrants coming in, a number of whom we know have been on the terror watch list we haven't even caught. And that's where we need more cops, more counterterrorism, more uh, support between the FBI and the NYPD. And instead, money's being cut back, and the counterterrorism unit's been cut back. I know Bill Bratton, the former great commissioner, he's been concerned about this. Ray Kelly is. I certainly am. I spoke to people who used to work at One Police Plaza, which is the police headquarters. They are extremely concerned. And then on top of that, I guess I keep going on top of this and on top of that, uh, you had the fact that the mayor now is under investigation. I'm not prejudging that at all. I think that was handled very badly by the authorities. But the fact is it keeps him, it has to keep him from doing the job that he really wants to do or should be doing anyway. So with all of that, John, yeah, I'm, I, I'm concerned. And uh, maybe the only beacon of light we get is listening to your radio show at 5 o'clock where we basically call on people and demand people just do some common sense. We can... I'll give out the details, but let's get the job done. Uh, I think th there is nobody that could argue with you on that. And, I, you know, uh, uh, I think we have to wait and see what he has in mind. And uh, don't forget, the last time we had a problem like that, uh, uh, I think the governor took charge. Uh, well, what year was that? Do you remember that far back? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when you had, that was with uh, 
Governor Kerry, I guess. We go that back that far. They set up a, a, a you know, control board to uh, you know, be managing New York City. We have that. But also, uh, I think what we have here is back in those days, uh, let's even go a little closer than that. In 1993, when Rudy Giuliani took over, he was elected mayor. He had a, an awful lot to overcome, but he had all of the district attorneys working with him. He had Peter Vallone and the city council working with him. Now we have at least three and maybe four district attorneys who are working against the police, except for Mike McMahon of Staten Island. Linda Katz, I think, is better in Queens. But you go to, uh, especially in Manhattan with Bragg. Uh, so he's the DA's work, working against him. The city council, they've been wanting all along to cut more money from the police. And I was a little disappointed in this year's elections, I think, in the city council. Now, we, Republicans, not just Republicans, real New Yorkers, Mr. Chance, put some common sense people back uh, into the council. Thank God they erected, uh, uh, re-elected people like Dickie Palladino in Queens and in the Vernikoff in South Brooklyn. But, you know, you go beyond that, and uh, uh, it's going to be more of the same old faces back there and who want to defund the police. And the new faces are even more radical in many cases. So, John, I'm not that optimistic. And, you know, you're the business guy. You always talk about the four or 500,000 people that are moving out of New York. And almost every one of them that's moving out has money, which means revenue, which you're going to be losing. Well, that's the reason. I, I could not understand uh, uh, Congressman King uh, when last year's budget was $98 billion, and this year's budget is like $110 billion. I mean, I'm, I'm estimating. When 500,000 people moved out, and we got new expenses in from all the uh, 100,000 immigrants. I mean, it, it, it just... What's the word? Common sense again? It doesn't make any yes, sense so, at know, all. The, no, and the extra cost, I mean, it's going to be billions and millions of dollars being spent on these new migrants, but also think of the impact it's having on, on uh, businesses. When you're walking through the streets of Manhattan and you see just people hanging around the sidewalks and trying to almost running you over with their bikes and, uh, uh, and, this, uh, and then uh, others you know, you're shooting up outside Penn Station and uh, you hear people being attacked midday in midtown new york which you never had even during the bad days of the 1970s and 80s you didn't have these type of assaults going on in midtown manhattan uh, on bright sunny days uh, it's uh, we're losing control and uh, if we could just draw a line and start slowly but surely pushing back then you know new york is great and has great recuperative powers but i'm just afraid we've gone too far when i was talking to my friend Chaz palmentary the other day and he's the most optimistic guy in the world, usually. He's a guy who made it right up from you know, the streets of, of the Bronx and incredibly successful pro-American, pro-police. But we talked to each other, what is happening? You know, can we reverse this, John? Can we bring it back? Uh, let me tell you something. New York is going to head south. Uh, on uh, Friday show, uh, we had, uh, on Thursday's show, uh, we had uh, Jimmy Patronis, uh, commenting on Ken Griffith's uh, comments that Miami is going to become the new uh, banking capital of the of uh, North America. Well, I know my daughter is down in Charlotte. There's certainly a lot of investment banks moving down there. The financial community, North Carolina, Florida. I mean, this is this is. Let it. me give you a number. Jimmy Patronis yeah. gave us, and he's the CFO of Florida, which is similar to Tom DiNapoli. A hundred and sixty. New York companies, investment banking type, brokerage type, have moved to Florida, taking with them a trillion dollars from wow. New York. So what does that mean? 
I say it's sad but true. And, uh, you know, if, even trying, if that were it, if we could somehow draw the line now and say, that's it, it's not going to get any worse, we're going to slowly bring our way back, the way Giuliani brought us back in 1993, the way George Pataki brought us back in 1995. I mean, we can do it. And then Mike Bloomberg, great job that he did. But instead, it just seems, and I'm really disappointed in the mayor. I like the mayor personally. I think he can be getting a bad deal right now. But his job is to turn the city around. And right now, it's being turned in the wrong direction. Yes, uh, you're absolutely right. Well, let's pray for New York, and um, I'm with you. I stand side by side with you. Let's do what we have to do and, uh, and hope New York survives. And happy Thanksgiving, John. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. See you Monday. Thank you. I'll see you Monday. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. What is today is Bert Flickinger, and he is one of the uh, country's leading economists and consumer advocates, and he knows what the heck is going on in the inflation in, uh, in the food industry. Uh, Walmart came out with some revelations uh, on their, uh, with their spokesman the other day, and uh, I figure I'd get an analysis from Bert Flickinger. Bert, what the heck is going on? Walmart is sort of saying uh, inflation is over, the prices are going down. What, what say you? Walmart's saying inflation is over and going down, John, but that's really on a month-to-month, quarter-by-quarter year. Stacked, as you know, uh, over the last two and a half years, food inflation still 20%, and Nabisco and the other brand manufacturers have not lowered in, lowered uh, their prices. So I think what Walmart's saying inflation's down uh, to get the analysts to give them some room uh, for the stock to underperform over the end of this fiscal year and into the next calendar year. Uh, understood. Now, they were also that uh, uh, talking about the, that the high price items, uh, people, the consumer has been resisting and walking away from. John, you're completely correct on the, on the high price items where the brand manufacturers took the inflation prices up, and then when uh, the crop years came in uh, with the farmers getting lower prices, the brand manufacturers did not lower the prices in kind. So uh, what what Walmart's doing is they were late to really emphasize store brands or private label the way you and Gristides and D'Agostino and others do so well. Uh, So uh, consumers are trading down uh, to smaller sizes, and a more private label like Canada, England, Ireland, and Scotland, where 55 to 60 percent of the unit sales are private label, versus only about 20 to 25 percent in the U.S. Understood. Now, what you were saying before that the national brands like Nabisco and your Oreo cookies uh, have not dropped any prices—is uh, it the private label brands that they're buying overseas? Uh, that uh, uh, Walmart is talking about mostly? It, it is, John. And and in Canada, the number one cookie is President's Choice chocolate chip cookies because Nabisco took the chips and the size of the chips down in Nabisco Chips Ahoy. So the consumer, whether rich or poor, is a smart shopper and 
pay, they're buying the private label cookies and Nabisco Chips Ahoy went from being number one for decades uh, to a distant number two. Wow. Now, the other thing I read about the other day is that somebody was suing, was it the attorney general of some, of suing, uh, uh, was it Nabisco for having less cream on their Oreo cookies? Yes, John, less cream and, and the government's getting involved. But I, I think with the government getting involved, John, it, it really gets to your great work with uh, Jack Futterman and Governor Pataki and Congressman Jack Kemp and Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Walmart got taxpayer funding to build inner city stores. And when the tax incentive financing expired after 10 years, Walmart's closing its city stores, it should be investigated. And the, the Federal Trade Commission has been micromanaging Gristiti, Sloan's, Red Apple, uh, Kroger, Albertsons on mergers. They, sh they should let you operate and expand as much as you can because you're serving the city consumer and selling good, fresh product at a very competitive price in fast and friendly stores where Walmart and Amazon are taking uh, public subsidies and public money to run the unionized stores and the unionized retailers uh, that are great, like Christides and D'Agostino and Kroger and Albertsons, off the road, Walmart's number one in supermarket sales, and Amazon and Costco are right behind them with all kinds of government support that you, Christides, D'Agostino, Kroger, and Albertsons don't get, and it's not right. And the government's been unwittingly support, supporting these global goliaths at the expense of people. And what's worse, John, is organized retail crime. You have the Rocky Calavito bat uh, that, that you perfected, and you have uh, great uh, public safety and crime prevention in your stores for your employees the same way Gary Dake does its, its steward shops where Walmart has low to no uh, people on security. And there are all kinds of crimes from rapes, maimings, murders committed on Walmart properties. And the government never gets after them. And it's a, it's a real shame uh, for cities in Chicago that are, and New York that are left with food deserts after Walmart gobbles up all the subsidies and sticks the taxpayers with higher prices and less personal safety and less safety for the workers and suppliers and shoppers. And uh, the other one I heard, uh, Bert Flickinger, was uh, PepsiCola is being sued because uh, one of the attorney generals is saying that they're polluting uh, something or another with all the plastic bottles they have. I mean, how else would you deliver soda? Exactly, John. And PepsiCola, uh, like Gristides and D'Agostino, is one of the last corporate flags still flying in New York State. And so, so the attorney general's suing to put uh, their biggest employers to send the half of Pepsi that's not headquartered in Texas with its sister company, Frito-Lay, to leave uh, Westchester County in New York and move to Texas. So more jobs and more taxpayer dollars. And I'm, sh I'm, sh I'm sure it's, it, it's a well-intentioned, but that really regrettable consequences economically, financially, and particularly for the poor people of New York State that need what uh, Pepsi, Pepsi does and Gristides and D'Agostino and Morton Williams and the other New York headquartered uh, companies do, like Stewart's, 
uh, to keep the economy going, keep hiring jobs, and keep the prices low at a time when inflation's been the worst in in retail and uh, recorded history. Bert Flickinger, we have thirty seconds left. What do you What do you want to tell all consumers? Tell all consumers, John, that. Uh, Kroger, Albertsons, like Christie's, like D'Agostino, should be allowed to merge without Federal Trade Commission interference. And the Federal Trade Commission should continue to investigate Amazon and start investigating Walmart for the first time in 60 years to establish a level competitive playing field. And that'll make uh, places safer to shop and more affordable and better instead of uh, wiping out uh, stores, jobs, uh, and 50 of the top 150 retailers that Walmart's been a catalyst or a key contributor in wiping out across America. Thank you, Bert Flickinger. We'll catch up again real soon and keep your eyes open and keep reporting to the American people what the heck is going on. Thank you so much. And, and thank you, John, for your Katzmatidis Common Sense Solutions. Always right on and uh, well, you'll save the, save the uh, country with your Katzmatidis Common Sense Solutions. Thank you so much. With us today is uh, Senator Alphonse D'Amato, one of the best senators he, New York ever had and defended New York to the, to the end. Uh, Senator D'Amato, uh, what's on your mind today? Well, look, um, I'm glad that the president uh, met with the Chinese president um, because it's not good to have no communications. And basically, we had little, if any, no direct between uh, uh, the heads of state. Uh, that's not good. That's not good because China is a power, and believe it or not, a very aggressive power. Uh, she wants to control manufacturing. She wants to control products. Uh, they have engaged in espionage in terms of our materials, our resources, they have stolen them. They take them, etc. cetera. Uh, but you can't uh, uh, just disregard them. So that was a good step going forward, that at least they're going to have communications. Now, if you think she's going to be our friend, uh, you're kidding yourself. And, 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 and our, our wonder list president um, has no idea, you know, if he thinks they're going to stop the fentanyl from coming into this country, um, he, he's kidding himself because they're, they're not. Uh, they may uh, say they've um, put in uh, some steps to stop the production, et cetera, et cetera. But they are in an aggressive war against the United States. They want to destroy our economy. They want to be the big economic power. And right now, they're having trouble. So this is an opportunity for the United States to use its creativity, um, its inventiveness, it, its, um, its skill in maintaining our position um, in the United States. So it, it's a good step because at least the two of them should be able to communicate. But, but I, I wouldn't put much more in it. Uh, the thing that really concerns me is what's taking place um, uh, in Israel with their battle against Hamas and the terrorists. Um, 
And obviously, we want them to win. But let me tell you, Netanyahu will be making a huge mistake if he says there should be no Palestinian state. He will absolutely uh, incur the wrath of all of the Arabic states, some uh, who may not love Israel but are not out to destroy it. But um, they've got to take a position that there will be a Palestinian state. They guarantee that. Netanyahu has to do it. Now, he made a deal with, with the right-wingers over there, the crazies over there, and they don't want there to be a Palestinian state. If he doesn't have the nerve to stand up and say, look, we're going to get rid of the terrorists. We're going to secure our borders. We're going to see. And, and by the way, what a fantastic letdown in terms of the security. Where the hell was Israel's security that they couldn't see that Hamas was getting ready to launch an attack? Where was it? Well, was their security fake- failed in a very, very big way. The Mossad was supposed to be the best in the world, and I'm so disappointed they failed. Yep, absolutely. It was a terrible, terrible letdown. And now, and now, uh, we've got to see to it that they have good security. And I have to tell you, make no mistake about it. The country that is supporting this aggressive action is the one and only Iran. And we have been subsidizing Iran. Make no mistake about it. It goes back to Barack Obama and his special envoy there. Senator, it's our money. It's American money that's funding Iran to to declare war on Israel. I mean, you can't make it up. Well, I have to tell you, and what I will say, some people will say you shouldn't be doing it or saying it. We've got to give Israel the green light to knock out Iran's nuclear capabilities. Don't let her go totally nuclear. Knock them out. Knock them out now because she's not going to stop. And that may send a warning, and we got to back them up. Iran is our enemy. Iran is the enemy of any. She wants there to be a Middle East conflagration, and she wants to take over the whole area. Israel is our only defense as it relates to Iran, because we don't have the chutzpah, the nerve. I don't want to say the balls, but I will. And the balls to go after Iran and knock out her nuclear capability. She is a threat to mankind and to peace. And so we've got to give the green light to Israel to do it and back her out, knock out that, that nuclear capability, and we'll make that whole region a lot safer. Iran was a civilized country with the Persians uh, when the Shah yep. was there. What went wrong? Uh, I mean, the mullahs mullahs that are pushing the button and paying off Hamas, they're the guilty parties, and and they are are the uh, Osama bin Laden's of 2023. Absolutely, they are, and that's why you got to take out their nuclear capabilities. Then you will get others in the region. Uh, um, uh, to step forward, step out. But if we just hang back, they're not going to, they're going to say, huh, what are we going to do? We're going to fight with them? 
The United States and Israel have to show some chutzpah. They got to step up, take out Iran's nuclear capability. She will never be our friend. She's a danger. Her people are, are terrorized by the people who are in there. They don't support the mullah. The mullah is running because he has the army, etc., etc. Take him out. We make the world a much safer place. And we send a signal to China and to Russia that we're not just sleepy Joes at the switch. Right now, this president has no idea what's taking place. He's in another world. That's my opinion. Senator Alphonse D'Amato, thank you for speaking out and always speaking out for our city, our state, our country, and the world. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. Good being with you, John. Bye now. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Arthur Piccolo, and he's the chairman of the Bowling Green Association. In part of his territory, the Wall Street Bull is there. And uh, he's very proud of it. He's very proud of, uh, of the Bowling Green Association. And he's upset. Is upset at Macy's and the Thanksgiving Day Parade. And uh, <clears throat> since I went to Brooklyn Tech High School with Arthur, I'm giving him his two cents. Arthur Piccolo, what the heck are you upset about? Tell us. John, first of all, thank you for having me on your Sunday morning show preceding Thanksgiving. Yeah, I have a story about a very big turkey that's named Macy's. I made an innocent attempt to get their attention last month. The fact we have some very important New York City anniversaries coming up next year, the 500th anniversary of the discovery of New York City, the 400th anniversary of the beginning of New Amsterdam. I thought they would be interested in during the broadcast to make sure to mention those two items as very important. No response at all from their parade director, no response at all from their CEO. And then in a conversation with the mayor down here at Bowling Green, who's often here for flag raisings, I said to the mayor, I have a great idea, which went beyond my initial contact with Macy's. What about having the great charging bull for the only time since it arrived here in December 1989 on a float with you, other notable New Yorkers, and surrounded by a a wide, diverse group of New Yorkers leading the parade down Broadway for a change? And he said, great idea. Again, still could not get any response from Macy's. He had his... Deputy Mayor, one of his most important people, Deputy Mayor for Communications, uh, Fabian Levy, contact Mayor the Macy's about this. They didn't even respond to him. M- Macy's view is this is their damn parade, and they don't have to respond to anybody, all right? This is the only branded parade in New York City. It's Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's not New York City's. On the other hand, New York City foots a big part of the bowl. I can't get uh, of the of the cost of the parade. I believe with there's four city agencies involved, thousands of city employees on overtime, holiday rates. I again, no nobody's giving out exact figures, but I estimate it's about 10 million dollars that New York City taxpayers pay for this parade and it's basically a 3-hour advertisement for Macy's and the companies that buy floats and and, uh, and 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 balloons in the parade. It's the advertising industry. Clearly, you can go on and see. It's a three-hour commercial. It's the most valuable marketing tool Macy's has. And their attitude, as far as I'm concerned, towards New York City, get out of our way. This has nothing to do with you. Even though 
Jeanette the night before at the press conference with the mayor always says, what a great partnership we have with New York City. Yeah, the way a con man would have a partnership yes. with their victim. Thank you. Thank you. You got your point across. Arthur Piccolo went to Brooklyn Tech with him. Great kid. You do good work for our city. Thank you so much, and thank you for coming on this and Sunday And so do morning. you, John. Happy thank Thanksgiving. You. Happy Thanksgiving. And now we have Steve Moore, another Steve. Yeah, it's a Steve day. <laughs> and uh, one of the uh, country's leading economists, uh, Larry Kudlow's on vacation. And Steve Moore, tell us, uh, uh, there's a, on the Wall Street Journal, there was headlines. Are Americans falling out of love with the EVs, electric vehicles? Yeah, it's a big story. I mean, all throughout the country, these um, major uh, uh, auto uh, dealerships are just filled with electric vehicles and EVs. And uh, I, I spoke at the Automobile uh, uh, Dealers Association meeting a couple of weeks ago. They said they can't sell the EVs because people don't want them. And it's really kind of, kind of amazing when you think about it, John Katzen and Arita, because you know, the first, the government basically built the plants, you know, built for the car companies to produce these cars. Then you've got uh, the government bribing people with a $7,500 check if they'll buy an EV. And then several states, I don't know if New York is one of them, are kicking in another three to $5,000. And then you get all sorts of discounts on, you know, if you use uh, for recharging, you can recharge your car for free. It's like getting free gasoline. And still people don't want to buy them. And that's because people have a lot of problems, especially for long travel. EVs are just not a good way to, uh, you know, drive more than 100 miles. Now, Steve Ed Cox, uh, California has particularly draconian wo- uh, rules yeah. with respect to yeah. EVs. Is that right? What are they? Well, they're basically uh, they have a law that will essentially make non-EV cars illegal, believe it or not, within I don't remember the exact date within five or six years. And that no, and then they also want. Here's one that's amazing. To just give you a sense of how nutty things are sometimes out there on the left coast, they want to get rid of um, trucks that use um, diesel. Now, how are you going to? Let's say you've got a two-ton truck with a huge cargo. You think you're going to be able to carry that cargo with an electric battery? I don't no. think so. Now the and other headline. I mean, it's crazy. What are these people thinking? And so here's what's scary. You know what they want to do is have this law in California. And then if truckers can't, you know, take a, a gas car into California, then they're going to say, well, we have to change our whole fleet for the whole country. So this isn't just nuttiness in California. The problem is that this plague might uh, invade the whole country. And look, I just published these statistics just so you guys know. And I think your readers and, and your, your listeners understand this. Eighty percent of our energy today comes from where? Oil, gas and coal and diesel. And then another 10 percent comes from nuclear power. So there's no green energy transition going on in this in this country. Last year, the United States used more oil and gas than ever before. John Katsimides, why don't we produce the oil and gas in North Dakota, in Alaska, in Texas, in West Virginia, rather than getting it from Iran? We are capable of producing between Canada and the United States 20 million barrels a day, and uh, we can make America self-sufficient. And if we produce 20 million barrels a day, gasoline will be 50 be about fifty fifty five dollars a barrel, and you know what that means? That means interest rates have come down back to two three percent. Well, John, I want to correct you on one thing you said because ninety five percent of what you just said is true. There's one thing that I would add to what you said. You left out. You said this would make us energy self sufficient. No, it wouldn't make just make us energy self sufficient. It would be making uh, North America the largest 
producer of oil and gas and export of oil and gas in the world. This is John Katzmatidis. If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCRadio.com. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.